take a deep breath and remember there's a power breathing you. This is your space of sanity in an evolving world where we learn about spiritual law and how to apply it to our lives in a way that is practical and life-changing. This is where we remember truth to make the world a better place one person at a time. I'm Claire Lotier, inspirational speaker, teacher of the technology of transformation, and a certified life mastery consultant and spiritual coach. Welcome to the Grace Space. We're in a mini series now about graceful ascension, what it is, what ascension is, and what it means for you. If you haven't listened to last week's episode on ascension, and this is a new topic for you, I recommend that you go back and listen to it for some important background information and some context. Today I'm going to tell you about a profound spiritual technology that can help you have a more graceful ascension process. But not only that, it will bring you higher levels of physical health and vitality, more peace and balance in your day, calm your mind and emotions, and give you a feeling of expanded spaciousness inside yourself. If you practice this technology faithfully, you will become more resilient, more grounded, and more centered. It's a technology that's extremely practical and can be approached by just about anyone because it meets you right where you are. I'm talking about Kundalini Yoga, the Yoga of Awareness. Kundalini Yoga awakens the dormant spiritual potential within you by working with your body's innate consciousness or intelligence. It strengthens and harmonizes the nervous and glandular system so that your body can hold more light. If you remember in our first episode of this series, I talked about how much light is bombarding the planet now, and we need to be able to metabolize it and integrate it. Well, that's what Kundalini Yoga helps you do by strengthening your nervous and glandular systems and opening up the subtle channels of your being, the meridians, to an increased flow of energy. Subjectively, this is often experienced as a feeling of personal and spiritual expansion. And this expansion inevitably leads to the discovery of your unique spiritual gift and the fulfillment of your highest potential and purpose. And make no mistake, you have a purpose. You have a part to play in the great planetary awakening which is occurring now that nobody else can play. And if you're listening to this podcast, it's because there's something in you that's already awake to that or alert to that. And that purpose is connected to your heart's deepest longing to fulfill your true potential. And you know, that feeling of longing to grow and expand and to know more of you, that is the feeling of kundalini awakening. And that's just another term for ascension, ascension in consciousness. Awakening this energy transforms you and your life. And I mean, this energy is you. <laughs> it's the true you. It doesn't come from outside of yourself. It's who you really are. 
I want to tell you the story of how I came to discover and practice this yoga during the last 25 years, how it changed my life and continues to do so, and how you can discover it too and use this technology for your empowerment, for your own positive growth and expansion. We have to go back in time about 30 years to when I was just starting graduate school for acting at the Juilliard Drama Division in New York City. During the first of four years of training in classical theater, we spent many, many hours lying on the floor, learning how to breathe. When you work on stage, which it was always my intention to do, at least back in those days, there was very little amplification of sound. As a stage actor, you were expected to have a voice that could carry all the way back to the back row of the auditorium without sounding like you were screaming. The voice is an instrument, and you have to know how to use it. So we would lie for what seemed like hours on our backs, on our sides, each side, and on the belly, breathing deeply into every part of the lungs and expanding the muscles of the ribcage so that we could access more of our breath capacity and eventually achieve more depth and resonance and warmth and power in the voice. It was probably the first time I had ever breathed so deeply in my entire life and with such regularity and over such a long period of time. It was a form of meditation. Long, deep breathing like that has physiological effects on the brain, and it's linked to changes in consciousness. Well, one day, sitting in class, watching some of my classmates working on a scene, I spontaneously saw energy around their heads. Our classroom studios at Juilliard were large with high ceilings and white walls. And we also had some black box theaters with black walls or draped black curtains. Well, those white walls and black walls were great for seeing energy, the perfect backdrop. I remember the first time it happened. I wasn't shocked or freaked out by it. It seemed natural. And I thought, oh, that must be the aura. (laughs) I could see it around people's heads and shoulders mostly. And often I would see a funnel at the crown of the head that moved with the person. And sometimes a person would move and then where they had been standing was a kind of imprint of their energy that was still there. It was cool. And intuitively I made the link that all this deep breathing had opened a previously dormant capacity in me. I began looking for the aura around myself, and I could see it especially around my hands. More properly, I was seeing the etheric body, one of the layers of the aura, the closest one to the body. I could also feel it and sense it between my hands. And you can do it too. If you've never done it before, just put your hands together, a little space between them, and start to feel the energy between them. It's quite natural. And this capacity grew naturally to feeling this aura around myself, wherever I focused, closer to or further away from the physical body, I could feel things inside my field. I even had a friend at Juilliard who was in a different class from me. She was quite a bit more clairvoyant than I was, and she supported my experience. Sometimes we would hang out in the stairwells, and she would tell me what she saw around me or help me practice to see a bit more. My attitude towards this was mainly one of curiosity, and I started to read some books about energy, whatever was available at the time, and I briefly considered attending a school for healers to enhance the abilities, but even then, I knew that the path of a healer wasn't my path. 
I was passionately interested in communicating and being a vessel for something greater than myself to be delivered from one to many. And the nearest feeling that I knew to that was being an actor on stage for the great works of the Western world. It was the 90s. <laughs> it was another age. I couldn't have done then what I do now. It wasn't possible in that context yet, nor did I have the level of awareness. But everything I gained in skills and competence as an actor trained me well for a higher octave of those same gifts to find expression later in life when the time was right. During those formative years of actor training, I did quite a bit to expand my awareness. All of it self-directed, for better or for worse. My father had died suddenly after my second year at Juilliard, and I'm sure that that galvanized my efforts to find meaning. I engaged in a couple of different meditation courses, learning to sense the energies of the different chakras. I read about our galactic heritage and star seeds, the other galaxies. I consulted healers and intuitives. I did a correspondence course through the Self-Realization Fellowship after reading the autobiography of a yogi. I did a first level of Reiki training. I was definitely searching. And it was during that period that I first remember coming across the term Kundalini in one of the many books that I read about energy. I started looking around New York for groups that were spiritually oriented. You know, in the mid-90s, the internet wasn't really a thing yet. So honestly, I don't even remember how I found out about stuff. Isn't that weird? I probably just ripped off poster tabs in coffee shops or the bookstore and looked in the back of Time Out magazine. Anyway, I had started going to Hatha yoga classes occasionally in my neighborhood by the time I graduated from school in 1996, and I loved the feeling of being in a yoga studio. But I couldn't seem to stay motivated to stick with the practice, and I remember thinking, I should like yoga more. I should, and I don't understand why I don't. <laughs> But it felt like something was missing, and despite my best intentions and the pretty yoga bags and outfits that I supplied myself with to goose my interest and motivation, I would eventually lose steam and stop going to class. It was perplexing. I also discovered Ayurveda right around the same time. Ayurveda is the ancient, holistic Indian art and science of health. And I even made an appointment with an Ayurvedic physician to help me with skin breakouts. See, my motivations at the time were more superficial. I was mostly concerned about my weight, my body image, how I looked on camera or was perceived during auditions. I was really living from the outside in, skating on the surface of life, and I felt very insecure. After my initial momentum of success on the heels of leaving acting school, signing with top theatrical and commercial agents, being offered a soap contract, and numerous cool theater gigs, including a few high-profile pre-Broadway workshops of shows that never came to fruition but connected me with the best people in the business, I hit a dry spell. For over a year, I didn't work. And my self-esteem, precarious at the best of times, was really circling the drain. I didn't look great, and I felt like a loser. One time I showed up for a television audition at ABC, and the network guy behind the desk looked at my headshot, waved it in the air at me, and said, Who's this? <laughs> oh. That was my world back then. It was awful sometimes. And I was desperately looking for ways to anchor myself, albeit they were often the wrong ways. Fortunately, God is good, 
And I must have let some love through because somehow one day I ended up downtown at a kundalini yoga class for the first time. I still remember it as a life-changing experience. I was blown away. I had never had such an experience of my own energy before. I had never felt so blissful during and after a class. And it was nothing like the hatha or flow yoga classes I'd been to up until then. The postures were different. It wasn't about flexibility or physical stunts, but more about angles and the sacred geometry of the body and precise positions. There was weird breathing. There were mantras and hand positions and things I didn't understand, but I didn't need to understand. Somehow, the total effect was a palpable sense of well-being that I had never known before. I would float home like a spirit unbound from the body, walking on air. I remember that feeling so clearly. It was completely new to me. Immediately, I knew that this was my yoga. It spoke to me, and I understood that the typical forms of yoga that most people practiced while I could enjoy them were not what I was looking for. I knew this yoga was life-changing from the very first class. So I became obsessed. I took home the schedule, scraped my money together, and paid for a package of classes. At the time, I was living way uptown on 181st Street. It was a 30-minute subway ride just to get to Midtown and an additional transfer to get down to the Flatiron District where the studio was on 21st Street or 20th Street, something like that. But I went to class three times a week. That was a big commitment. I was hooked on how it made me feel calm, balanced, like everything was okay. Whenever I was at home in New York, I would go to class. And when I was away working out of town, I would look for a class, but you couldn't always find one. I read as much as I could on kundalini energy, awakening, chakras. It was a period of discovery and flourishing interest in higher consciousness. At the studio, they had brochures on kundalini yoga teacher training, and I felt very drawn to it. I remember at the time the training cost $800, which felt like a small fortune. And I looked at the dates and I thought, oh, but what if I have a job by then? Because I was mostly unemployed. And I looked at where the training was out west somewhere. Well, all of it just seemed like too much for me. So I didn't go for it. But you know, none of the excuses I gave myself back then for not going through it were real. The real reason was fear, pure and simple. I was afraid of the changes that I knew it would bring precisely because it was so transformative. The ego was still very entrenched, and I knew, or I guess I should say it knew, that going deeper into the practice of kundalini yoga would be a real challenge to its sovereignty. And as I was very identified with that ego, that small self, I believed its story. I told myself that I couldn't afford to do the training, that the timing might not work out, that it was far away, blah, blah, blah. But what was really happening was a retreat back to the familiar, the familiar self, the familiar patterns that I was still too afraid to challenge. 
Here's the thing about spiritual technology. It fast tracks your growth and expansion because it brings up what you need to face and transcend. And that process had already started in me when I first started practicing Kundalini Yoga. So it caused me to grow in a sort of spurt. And then and then I got scared, right? So as amazing as it feels to be growing, it's not always comfortable. But I think that's why Kundalini Yoga attracts so many amazing, courageous people, because it's not for the faint of heart. It draws in those who are ready for it at whatever level they're ready, and it transforms you fast. Sometimes we just want to put on the brakes. It calls up our resistance to the changes we know we need to make or the things we know we need to face. But sometimes the part of us that doesn't want to change and doesn't want to face things wins over. At that point, we retreat, we run away, we sabotage ourselves. And sometimes it looks like an event that's coming from the outside, but rest assured it's always coming from the inside because the familiar has a strong gravitational pull. This is a typical pattern for most people. And it's part of consensus reality, the reality that we all tend to agree on about the way things are. Give anyone your set of excuses and they will nod their head and affirm you in your illusions. We are not honest with ourselves. We fool ourselves all the time about our true reasons and our true motivations. And we lose respect for ourselves because We know deep down that we're betraying our own greatness, cutting ourselves off from our power and our source. Most people look at their circumstances for permission to do what they want to do. And if their circumstances don't allow it, they assume that it isn't possible and that they have to wait until their circumstances change so that they can do or have or be what they want to do or have or be. And this is backwards. Because here's the law. Your circumstances don't change until you change. Sitting around hoping our circumstances will change is a guarantee that they won't. It's what we call victim consciousness. It's being the plaything of the fates. When we do that, we are subjugating the vast, multidimensional, magnificent being of light that we are to the nightmarish illusions of a false self. And that's what I would call a luciferic reversal. Because when you catch even a fleeting glimpse of the radiant, noble, indwelling presence that you are, You cannot believe to what degree you have sold yourself short, lived small, and debased your immaculate nature. From that place within is where you decide for what you want in life, in spite of not knowing how you're going to get there, in spite of maybe not having all the money that you need for it, in spite of not having the time, the resources, the know-how, the people skills, the educational background, the brains, and so on. A true decision from this deep place of truth within you sets your priorities straight. 
We always have time for what truly matters to us, and we will always find a way to afford it because it requires us to dig deep into our resourcefulness, our source. So if you want to find out what you truly value in life, look at what you spend most of your time doing and what you spend most of your money on. And, you know, I see this all the time with people who come to me because of certain pain points that have become intolerable in their lives and who become super inspired by the possibilities they become aware of during an initial consultation. They touch something within themselves. They touch that power. But when it comes down to the moment of decision to step forward into true empowerment, that's when the excuses come up. And they're always the same ones. Money, time, needing someone else's permission, needing to think about it. Little do we realize that those are the very same excuses that have always stood between us and anything that we wanted that was outside of our comfort zone. And this is why most people lead lives of quiet desperation, repeating the same cycles of smallness and limitation and suffering over and over again. And if you confront them on that, the ego justifies its existence in those same excuses, often loudly and indignantly, to drown out the voice of the soul so that you won't step into your greatness. But that was what happened to me the first time the doorway of the soul was opened in front of me. I shrank back in fear. This was the real reason I said no to kundalini yoga teacher training at the time. It wasn't about teacher training. It was about going in-depth into a very powerful practice. My soul was calling me to go through that doorway, but I didn't believe in myself. I didn't have the courage of my convictions, even though I had never been touched by anything so much as I had been touched by my first encounter with kundalini yoga, which was really my first encounter with my own essence. Thereafter, little by little, my regular attendance in class became sporadic, then occasional, until eventually I lost the thread. I had my excuses, though. On my schedule changed, I had to travel for work, I was out of town for a job, money was tight, you know, all the usual ones. And then I started doing Pilates, and then I started teaching gyrotonic expansion system, which was very similar to Kundalini Yoga in principle, but without the spiritual context. <laughs> I got married, I got divorced, I moved to California, and I was teaching at a number of Pilates studios there, and one of them hosted a 10-day detox challenge, which I decided to join. As part of the challenge, a guest teacher came in to lead a kundalini yoga class every morning of the challenge. It had been several years since I had been to a class. I'd been caught up in the whirlwind of my life's drama. And the year I spent in Los Angeles, whew, that was a brutal form of self-devised punishment for my sins, during which I survived by working three jobs, one as a telemarketer for a dating agency, that's a story for another time, and subletting my place in New York, which I owned, thank God. That was one of the smart decisions I made as a young person was to buy a little studio on the Upper West Side. But that was, you know, that year was a low point. The first class of the challenge, it was like magic. I was in love again, 
Everything I remembered about how good it felt came back to me in a rush, and I felt hopeful, as if a lighthouse had appeared that I could navigate towards on the tossing waves of my life. I remember thinking, how have I been away from this? How did I forget? So I started going back to classes again in Los Angeles. That was the second time Kundalini Yoga came to me. The second time, the opportunity to ground the energies of the soul was presented. The portal opened again. And again, I declined to walk through. (laughs) I was moving back to New York. I was in a new relationship. I was building a new life again. Things were looking up in my career again. So I thought, I'm fine. And once more, I was swept up in the wave of samsara, believing I could find the answers, I could find happiness and fulfillment out there in the world. So my commitment to my practice and my soul took second place. I still didn't understand what commitment was. Lack of commitment and lack of discipline, this is something that, you know, we all, we all deal with. These are symptoms of being out of touch with our values, with what we stand for in life. Most people do not see themselves as sacred. They do not see themselves as magnificent. They do not honor themselves as the eternal, multidimensional beings of light that we humans are. They don't, therefore, stand for their own nobility or have eternal values that they would die for. When you know why you're getting up in the morning and whom you serve, it's easier to overcome the inertia that wants you to stay in bed. But once again, consensus reality is the default. And we are usually affirmed in our choice to live a smaller life, accepting the paltry offerings of the world as the best we can get when there is so much more waiting for you right within your very own being. Eventually, the wheel of fortune turned, and I found myself on the bottom again, lost, unhappy, and in physical pain this time. I'll tell you about the third time the portal opened and how I walked through it and how it turned my whole life upside down (laughs) in a good way in the next episode. I've got a special gift for you though. In the meantime, click on the link in the show notes to be taken to a short video where I'll guide you through one of my favorite Kundalini Yoga exercises and feel how this technology is so powerful and how quickly it can affect you. You're gonna feel a difference in three minutes. To build a new way of being, you must build new habits. And the best and quickest way to do this is by investing in mentorship and a community of like-minded souls. Up until now, you've been programmed to default to mass belief systems. 
that programming is not going to change on its own. First, it takes a decision on your part to commit to changing the way that you do things. In the absence of a decision and an intention to empower ourselves, we naturally default to old patterns of limitation. You know what I'm talking about. It's happened before, hasn't it? So the decision comes first, and then you need the right tools, the right support, and the right guidance to change long-standing patterns. And that's where I come in. If you're eager to make your own dream come true and live a life that you love, that's worthy of the divine being that you are, well, if so, consider this your invitation to join a spiritually minded community of people who support each other's highest vision for whom they want to be and how they want to live. You'll find links in the show notes to learn more about how to become part of my inner circle of members and work with me personally on creating the results that you really want in your life here and now. And if you're a performing artist or a show business professional and you want to be more successful, have more abundance and more opportunities doing what you love using the skills you already have, I can show you how. It's very common for people in the arts to believe that the decisions that affect their lives and careers are in other people's hands. But the truth is, you are the one and only creator at work here. You can take back the power that you've given to others and to the business. Click on the link to set up a free Empower Hour breakthrough session with me. And let's talk about what your dream life as an artist would look like and how to make it a living reality. I'll see you soon. Meanwhile, walk in grace. Thank you for joining me in the grace space, where you're always in the right place. If you love this podcast, I invite you to subscribe to it and submit a review if you feel called to do so. Also, be sure to sign up for my newsletter right here. I look forward to spending this time with you again next week. Meanwhile, I send you love and blessings. Bye for now.